Greetings, gentle listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, you may also like Brosé, a mirthy talk show starring four bros who sip wine and consider questions submitted by you, the audience, about current events, pop culture, and which Muppet you should get tattooed on your back. Subscribe to Brosé wherever you get your podcasts. That's B-R-O-S-E. Brosé, the podcast for those who drink rosé. What does Walter Mosley have to do with Petscop? Is Mitt Romney a communist? The answer may surprise you. Does Kid Rock plus a colostomy bag equal a great time? Will Brexit stop the flow of the Cadbury cream egg? We can hope. Does Boomer need a bib while driving? Yes, he does. The answers to these questions plus sports, emotional weather, and stayed up. That's tonight on Person in Person. Good evening, wherever you are, whoever you are, and welcome to Person in Person. I'm Gene Person. And I'm Greg Person. No relation. Person in Person is a news show for people who don't like news shows by people who do not like news shows. And I uh, just got my second dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine, so my arm is killing me, but my Wi-Fi reception is great. Oh yeah, you got that 5G all up in you now. Yeah, it's super good. Super good. That's excellent. You're like a hybrid of man and machine. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's turning into a cyborg up in here. All right, let's get into tonight's story beats. A recent British survey showed that one third of respondents only wash their sheets once a year and 20% of respondents didn't wash their underwear after each use. Stereotypes about uh, British sexual repression make a lot more sense now. Mm, indeed. U.S. Census data shows the nation's population has grown at its slowest rate since the Great Depression. It shows an exodus from populous strongholds like California, New York, and Midwestern cities, the Pacific Northwest, and the South. But does it really show that? Some argue that it shows a campaign to make immigrants, even those who immigrated through the proper but arduous processes we have in place, afraid of answering for fear of deportation, was super effective and that it is in fact a censored census. A censored census being sold by she who sells seashells by the seashore. Some say so, some say nay, some say censored census while drinking Chardonnay. Damn. I'm impressed you got through all that. On the first take. Woo! I know. That's killer. <laughs> Former Senator Harry Reid claims that Lockheed Martin has fragments of crashed UFOs. So far, they've only managed to reverse engineer the crashing part, which is how we got Black Hawk helicopters and the F-35. <laughs> That's good. Uh, the office and apartment of Rudy Giuliani were raided last week by the FBI in investigating improprieties in Giuliani's attempts to tie the Biden administration to Ukrainian officials. Giuliani, one of the breakout stars of the second Borat film, was not alarmed until he learned the raids were conducted by the actual FBI as opposed to FBI total landscaping. <laughs> That's very funny. I like that one. After five years, zookeepers in the Japanese city of Sapporo have discovered that the reason their mating pair of toucans kept laying infertile eggs is because they're both female. 
Zookeepers became suspicious when the toucans bought a Subaru and adopted a rescue cat. <laughs> you know, if you got three toucans up in there, you'd have a six pack. Oh, dip. That's really good, too. You're on fire tonight. No, oh, that's a Jungle Cruise work- joke. That is blatantly ripped off from the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> oh, I have no idea what Jungle Cruise is. So It's a Disney attraction. Ah, gotcha. Well... You could have fooled me. Oregon State Representative Mike Neerman, who allowed far-right protesters access to the state capitol, has been charged with first-degree official misconduct and second-degree criminal trespass. Both crimes are misdemeanors, but the former charge could carry as much time as a year in prison, a $6,200 fine, and perhaps worst of all, a life sentence of having to be Mike Neerman. Nobody deserves that. Nobody. No. No. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Mike Neerman. All right, enough about the news. It's time for main news. Our top story tonight, as usual, I'm just going to dive right in, if that's okay with you, Greg. Yeah, go for it. There are creepy pastas that I love. Candle Cove and the Goatman story come to mind. There are creepy pastas that give you just a little bit more. Like Ben Drowned, The Princess, and, and Nest Godzilla. Those are all good examples where there are actual like art files and videos associated in some cases. But then there's Petscop, which transcends the definition of creepypasta and enters a uniquely creepy realm all its own. What starts with a video in the format of a YouTube Let's Play about a PlayStation game that shouldn't and didn't exist turned into a mysterious and confusing series that evoked all kinds of darknesses we like to pretend don't exist, but do. It's not for everyone, it's extremely unnerving, and even when it ends you're left with far more questions than answers. But it is one of the coolest phenomena I've ever been a part of in the sense of of watching it while it uploads. I waited eagerly for every new upload, and I can't describe the feeling when after months and months suddenly a new video would pop into the feed. Petscop had a huge online following, including detailed analyses. Nightmare Masterclass is my favorite. And even fan sites and dedicated forums. There is tons of Petscop fan art out there. As it turns out, it was an artistic endeavor created by Tony Domenico. And it was and is a brilliant vision of a completely new exercise in artistry, storytelling, and psychology. Awesome. But what does it have to do with Walter Mosley? Now, Walter Mosley, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure most of you don't, is an American novelist who's best known for hard-boiled detective stories, but also writes uh, science fiction, erotica, comics, children's books, uh, non-fiction books. And uh, he has a good size audience and the respect of his peers. Uh, in fact, uh, this past year, he was the first black man to win the National Book Award Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. Hmm. Uh, but in fairness uh, to the National Book Foundation, that award's only been around since 1936. So they just hadn't gotten around to it yet. Mm-hmm. But the thing is... He's not widely known as the greatest novelist alive, which is what he is. And this is not, it is my opinion, but you have to understand that on the subject of American literature, my opinions are facts. Okay. And he is a singular genius. Um, His work is absolutely transformative. And it actually makes me kind of sad that here's this guy who mystery fans agree is pretty good. 
Um, he's had a, a couple of movies uh, made out of his books, mm -hmm. but you know, he's not a superstar and he should be in a just world. He would be. I am going to reserve judgment on this novelist because I actually have not read his work. Um, breaking my heart. It hurts. Hey, I've never heard his name before you brought it up here. That's which is, that's I know. the thing that's insane to me. And now okay, I'm going, okay. now that you have evangelized him, I'm going to have to check it out. Okay, so here's my suggestion to you then. Start with uh, The Gift of Fire. Okay. Uh, it's very short and it does give you, it's, it's a very good sort of overview of the themes of his work. Okay. Kind of condensed in this one novella. So that's where I would start. And that is, in fact, where I started. Because I had never heard of him either, like all through college. Um, I discovered him at the grocery store at Fred Meyer, uh, which for you folks in other parts of the country is Kroger. Um, I was waiting for a bus and I had time to grab something to read on the bus. So I went into the store and on the rack, I saw this book and I was like, ah, oh, this is short. So I grabbed it. I read it. I was absolutely blown away. And I read a bunch more and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Mm -hmm. I don't know who he is. And he's incredible. He's, he's unlike anybody who's even writing today. And well, here's another wild story. If you'll indulge me, I know I'm going on about this subject. Um, do you remember, I won't say his name, but do you remember the older fellow who was very tall with the long white beard that we used to work with? Santa Claus? Yeah, of course. Yes, Santa Claus. Well, Santa Claus worked in pagination mm -hmm. and um, he's, you know, as you know, a very intelligent, very literate guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, one, of the, uh, one of the cooler, more interesting people I've ever worked with, honestly. Oh, absolutely. And he and I both love conspiracy theories. So between that and books, we always had a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, one day I was saying to him, OK, I'm going to throw a name at you. You've probably never heard of him before, but they are the greatest novelist alive. Walter Mosley. And he stared at me like I had described his grandmother's ghost. Hmm. Because he also was a tremendous fan of Walter Mosley and thought that he was the greatest novelist alive. But no one that he knew had ever heard of him either. So, like, so, uh, so okay, you have now introduced me to Walter Mosley. So this is one tie between that and Petscop because I introduced you to Petscop. You did, and I loved it. Um, Petscop, while it is a phenomenon, I don't know that it's a particularly well-known phenomenon. I don't know, like, in your average home, if, if the people had watched Petscop, but it truly is a work of genius. So there's that, too. Um, what, what else do you think could tie these two things together? Well, in a lot of, uh, in a lot of Walter Mosley stories, as in a lot of sort of noir, hard-boiled flavored fiction, because even his uh, sci-fi has a very noir edge to it. Mm -hmm. The thing in noir stories is that at the end of them, nothing was solved. Nothing mattered. Oh, yeah. It was just something that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. In all the best noir stories, that is certainly the case. You know, uh, that that is a really, really sharp observation. 
yeah and uh, you know being as i'm a fan of of the noir genre noir genre is a fucking hard phrase to say uh, mm-hmm. as i'm a fan of the noir genre from way back you know that's kind of what i like about it that um you know you read this story and you're like well what's the point well no point that's life sometimes right. things just happen and you know even and you can see some of that in in a lot of contemporary fiction and pet scop is one of those stories it's the rare horror story that has mm-hmm. that sort of noir nihilism to it it really it really actually does there is even in the scenes that in where the character is in a well-lit place there's always that undercurrent of darkness and it all even when it's supernatural it still feels very human and, oh yeah uh, i mean whatever it's ultimately about and i i don't know i've seen the whole thing and you know it's about ace of bases I, the sign let's let's be honest of course yeah they did do i don't know if you're you're aware of this but there was one upload that they did where um the, the main character petscop the little the little uh, the little tune guy he uh He's moving in really erratic ways. And if you sync it up to Ace of Bases, the sign, it's like perfect. No, I had I had no idea that was it's a thing. That's completely wild. in sync. And I believe the, I don't remember. So it's Petscop 21. It was perfectly synced with the sign, which was really, really funny to me in the midst of all this darkness and maybe a, a needed, you know, break in the tension also but it was also really funny to see people running with that and being like well maybe the sign refers to an onk maybe the sign, you know mm-hmm. but see the thing about it is most horror fiction is very moralistic you know mm-hmm. yeah and and a great horror story i think is one well, and there there are great moralistic horror stories. Moralism is not necessarily, you know, disqualifying you from being a great story. But there are a lot of great horror stories where it's just you watch them and you're like, well, wasn't really a point to that. It's just a thing that happened. Doesn't- yeah, there's 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 some really incredible storytelling that is done when an author or a creator is willing to dig into ambiguity it can really open things up to a whole new dimension. No, but when you're See, willing to dig into the shades of gray in between the black and white, that's that's where some really interesting story stuff can happen. I've tried writing into shades of gray and sometimes it's a little challenging for me because I, I have a very black and white outlook on life. But you gotta be careful that you don't have too many shades of gray. I mean, if you had, say, you know, 20 or 30 shades of gray, that's probably fine. You get up to 50 and then it's a whole other genre, really. Yeah, no, I'm not. That's too many shades of gray for me. I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with, say, for example, my mom reading something like that. So (laughs) out loud. Yeah. To me before I go to bed at night. (laughs) Yeah. On the phone. (laughs) She calls me, reads me select passages. (laughs) what are we talking about what is this i don't know (laughs) it is is completely off the rails but it's hilarious i'm having fun anyway yeah but yeah i mean if if uh walter mosley was going to do a multimedia internet youtube thing Mm -hmm. it might look something like that i could 
could see that. He would take you into this. And this is another theme in his work of this sort of slow descent into a world where nothing makes sense. And then Hmm. you come back out again and you're like, well, I don't feel like I've grown from this experience, but I won't forget it. And, you know, that's a staple of his noir and his science fiction. And it's I think that's a big part of Petscop because it starts off being a thing that you understand. Mm -hmm. And then little by little, you're drawn into this world that interesting never resolves itself into something that you understand. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right. Well, I think that is probably the strongest tie between two uh, ideas or stories that we have brought to this show yet. So let's pat ourselves on the back for that and uh, get into breaking news. Let's do it. So you might have seen this in the news at the recent Utah Republican convention. Mitt Romney went on stage to bash the Biden administration and getting damn near booed off stage. Uh, Mm -hmm. There were over 2,000 heckling, howling chuds calling him a traitor and, funniest to me, a communist, uh, proving a really (laughs) solid grasp of economics and basic reality. Mitt Romney, the ur-capitalist, is a a communist because they don't like him because the word communist just means someone you don't like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, uh, Mittens, to his credit, he did not slink away or attempt to pander to these animals. Um... But kind of foolishly, he did try to get them to act like adults. Uh, He said, aren't you embarrassed? And Mitt, I know you're listening. You're a fan of the show. I've gotten your your, uh, Snapchats. (laughs) Mitt, these people were never embarrassed. They weren't embarrassed before, and they aren't embarrassed now. Their kids are embarrassed by them. Their countrymen are embarrassed by them. And the people at the top of the Republican Party, the slick private equity vultures who told the the rabble that somehow they'd get rich if you got richer, you guys are embarrassed by them. But these people are finally out and proud. They are plowing through your precious norms of political discourse and plowing through society itself like an F-250 through a crowd of protesters. But, I mean... I didn't do it. I don't condone it. But no, no, I, I, like I, I know, I know. Pretty I, it was just sort of really apt. Never mind. It's fine. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And the thing is, the GOP created these monsters. You know, their their faux populism, their pickup truck bullshit, their Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin is really the prototype for these people, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that created these little beasties. And now they want them to settle down again so that they can pretend that the Republican Party is something more than the muck at the bottom of America's spiritual drain. It's not going to happen. No, it's not going to work. Yeah. These people, I mean, the lunatics are not running the asylum. The lunatics are at Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. And in fact, why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, so uh, so my breaking story, uh, human-weasel hybrid Kid Rock has a club in Nashville called Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. And apparently, there are a handful of people who are not at all embarrassed to go there. But this week, a rabid party-goer gave the establishment a bit more than they could handle, and they had to call the cops. Because this dude, overtaken by the spirit of Confederate douchebaggery, decided he needed to break out the old colostomy bag and start waving it around like a helicopter. Woo! 
God, that's good. It's a bag I full of shit, and guess what? It wound up getting all over the place. This dude rained shit on countless people, but it was all in the name of fun. Police were dispatched, and the guy was eventually arrested, but not before he got a couple of the officers. After the arrest, at least nice. one officer had to take a 30-40 minute break to go home and change clothes. The perpetrator will be charged with assault and buttery, and is a, in a shitload of trouble. I'll note that this guy was doing this during a global pandemic, so there will probably be some really, really serious charges. Well, I mean, I'd say throw the book at him, but he'd probably just throw the colossus <laughs> right back, back, at, back you. at you. And, you know, you get the worst yeah, of that exchange. It's, it's not a fair trade. <laughs> so there's, there's so much to talk about in this story. But the one thing mm-hmm. that I want to say is imagine if you're you're doing the ritual of trying to figure out with your wife where you want to go eat. <laughs> and you say to her, how about Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse? <laughs> like, does she... Is that even... That's, is that a no-fault divorce? Or is that divorce for irreconcilable differences or mental cruelty? I'm not even asking what would happen. I'm saying what kind of divorce right, would how, you get? But there's no, the, the point is there's no way to come back from that. No. I, well, and, you know, if all she has to do is say in court that you said, let's go to Kid Rock's Honky Tonk <laughs> right. Rock and Roll Steakhouse, and she gets the house, she gets the kid, she that gets mental everything. mental image is so hilarious to me. You're, you're going to be so broke that Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. I can't stop saying it. Fuck, it's I love so it. It's so funny. It's so inane. <laughs> you're going to be so dead broke that Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. <laughs> Never mind. I was going to make another joke, but I can't get through it. Oh, this is the best. Folks, it's sports. If there ever was a sport that it was appropriately named, it's underwater cycling. In which people do a bicycle race underwater. Sometimes it's freshwater or pool water, sometimes salt water, but always underwater. Racers ride on special dense bikes that help weigh them down and wear scuba gear so, you know, they don't die. Different races have different rules. In North Carolina's race, perhaps the most famous, participants are allowed to do just about anything they want, short of riding a motorized bike or the the cardinal sin of underwater bicycling, putting their feet on the ground to get past the finish line. Some races are more focused on speed and some on endurance, still others on obstacles. It's a pretty neat sport, honestly, and it requires a great deal of strength and endurance. Drowning is obviously the biggest danger, but sea life can complicate things as well. Sharks, jellyfish, and of course, mermaids. Speaking of mermaids, I'm told the sport was so popular that when Samuel E. Wright sings the line, Darling, it's better down where it's wetter, in the song Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid, he's referring specifically to the act of cycling. Maybe it's wrong. can't be right. Maybe. I mean, I got it from the internet, so it's probably true. Legally, they can't put anything on the internet if it's false. I Mm -hmm. learned that on the internet. All right. All right, let's move on to the emotional weather. Let's do. This week, we've decided to honor filmmaker Christopher Guest by uh, doing the emotional weather, Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, and A Mighty Wind. Okay, do you want to start this one off? Sure. 
my Waiting for Guffman story, there's something about musical theater that makes it ripe for interesting takes on existing IPs. Some are surprised to hear of the many films that seem like unlikely candidates for musical adaptations, but I'm going to rattle off a few of them here. Evil Dead, Heathers, The Witches of Eastwick, Carrie, Rocky, American Psycho, Ghost, King Kong, A Clockwork Orange, and Silence of the Lambs. It's a unique subgenre of musical theater, and it's all very tongue-in-cheek, but all these shows existed, and some of them were very successful. Taking things to an even more interesting level, a 24, in 2014, an improv troupe out of Chicago adapted Waiting for Guffman into a live musical theater production. Waiting for Guffman is a film about a live musical theater production. The tribute show called Red, White, and Blaine, after the musical in the film, was interesting enough that it was featured in the New York Times, a feat Corky St. Clair would have been so proud to accomplish. Have you by chance uh, seen the stage adaptation of Aliens that a bunch of high school students in New Jersey did? I haven't, but now I have to. Well, it's on YouTube. It's incredible. And not only is it incredible, it's so good that when their public demanded an encore performance... Um, Sigourney Weaver showed up. Whoa, really? Yes, yes. You can wow. you can watch the whole show on YouTube. It is so good. That's incredible. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check it out. Well, for my waiting for Guffman story, it's a little bit of a downer. Uh, the Sacramento Theater Company said they wanted to do a festival of plays to promote diversity and inclusion last year, and then they brought on a bunch of plays by white playwrights had white actors playing the non-white roles and they cast cis actors in non-binary roles. And of course the, the whole direction of it was so tone deaf that the actors just didn't feel comfortable with it. They quit in protest and mass and they had to scrap the whole thing. So good. Yeah. I mean, you know, good on the actors for making sure that they weren't a part of something that wasn't what it should be. This, I mean, not to get political because I literally do that with every breath that I take. And I'm sure that some people are tired of it. But this is the basic problem with rich rich white liberals. It's not that they don't want to do good. It's that they don't think to ask anybody what good means. Like the hallmark is this this sense, this completely out of touch approach to everything. It's like they're saying, oh, you know, we'll, we'll do a play about racism. I'll call my friend Corky St. Clair and see if he'll, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. On to uh, Best in Show. If you live in the town of Putnam, Connecticut, chances are you don't, since we've yet to receive a single download from that state. You have a chance to show off your best friend at the third annual Funminster Dog Show. Categories include Wigglebutt, Shaggiest Coke, Dog and Owner Lookalike, most talented, best senior, best dressed, best tail, best ears, largest dog, and smallest dog. There are food trucks and vendors. It's, it's an outdoor event and social distancing will be observed. Tickets are priced affordably and there's even a raffle. The event will be held May 15th, so there's no time to lose. Reserve those tickets now. That sounds awesome. I would enter my dog into a contest, but only if one of the categories was biggest butthole because he would definitely win right now. Yeah, most podcast interruptions, he would sweep that category. So, best in show, talking about um, the 
Kentucky Derby, mm-hmm. Medina Spirit has won at 12 to 1 at post time. A very big win, surprised a lot of people, surprised me um, because I, like most race fans, had discounted Medina Spirit, and I shouldn't have because Medina Spirit was trained by Bob Baffert and ridden by John Velasquez, which is like saying that, I don't know, you were trained by God and ridden by Moses. It's I, I can't mm. really even think of a metaphor, but those two guys could train a chipmunk to win the Kentucky Derby. And if I had seen that that, that was the combo, I would have bet on Medina Spirit. Uh, I wasn't able to get a bet down at all because, of course, all the bars are closed. Any place that does OTB is closed right now. But mm. um, I fully expect Medina Spirit to take the Triple Crown. I think it's a definite possibility. So let me ask you a question about the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. Is it a hat? Yes, but it's not what you think. It is not a round crowned hat with a small brim. It is a big floppy ladies hat that you wear while sipping a mint julep. All right. Well, that sounds delightful. On to a mighty wind. In June of 2020, an Austrian man was fined 500 euro for farting in proximity to police officers. This happened in Vienna, and the man was at a park visiting with some friends. Apparently, the fart was intentional and was rather massive. He argued before the court that farting is an innate human right, intentional or not, and the resulting fine is an infringement on his freedom of expression. His fine was reduced to 100 euro, but the court argued that farts have no communicative content, and that even if they were an accepted form of communication, this particular transaction was well outside the bounds of decency. To which the guy replied, Hold on a second. I need to get out my colostomy bag. (laughs) Oh, shit. See, I've thought about... Because I I had read about this fart story, and I thought about it. And I think, on reflection, that the court's contention that a fart has no communicative value is false. Because if you fart at someone, you are definitely trying to convey something. Yeah, in my household, when we fart at each other, we are telling each other that we love them. (laughs) It's a rule. (laughs) It's a rule. You have to fart on each other? No, you don't have to fart on each other. If you're falling out of love, you don't fart on each other. But we say I love you with our farts. The pink eye family. Like if one of us farts, you don't even need to say excuse me. You, You just wait for the other person to say I love you back. With a fart. Well, they can. I mean... If you have control over your gas to intentionally fart, you can do that. I don't have control over it. So you're and, not uh, at Gil. Gil will testify to that fact. So you're not at Lapetta main level. You're you're enthusiastic about farting, but not very skilled. Right. Okay. Right. I get that. I get that. I feel the same way about pasta. Me sure. making pasta. I like it, but making it is tough. Yeah. Yeah. So. A mighty wind as climate change promises more frequent and more powerful hurricanes. Uh, It's long past time to fund a coastal barrier system in Texas. Uh, It was first proposed over a decade ago to protect Houston and other cities on the coast. Um, You'll enjoy this name. Uh, It's named after Hurricane Ike uh, that came those years ago. And it's called the Ike Dyke. Of course. It would cost $26 billion to build. But it would save over $2 billion a year in damages as well as lives and environmental uh, devastation. Because as you probably know, 
Houston is also a big oil town. And if it gets washed out by a hurricane, it will be the biggest environmental disaster in history. Sure, sure. But it would also take 15 years to build this dike, and nobody's even agreed to fund it. So, womp womp, I guess we're not going to do anything. Sad trombone indeed. As you know, every week our investigative team uncovers a detailed and harrowing story on food crime. This week, Greg Person has the story. I meant to address this one around Easter, folks, when it was seasonally appropriate, but that was the same time all this real water shit happened, and there were other things that were on my mind, so it slipped off the radar, but I'm back on it. I want to talk about Cadbury cream eggs. Listen, Cadbury chocolate in general is bad, and in general, yeah, it's not good stuff. Britain makes bad candy. Mm-hmm. Buying chocolate in Britain is like buying gefilte fish in North Korea. But even taking that into account, there is no excuse for the cream egg, which is a noxious mucosal concoction of enzymatically inverted sugar. It's food science stretched to the limits of decency to create something that doesn't really have a flavor. It's just toxically sweet. And it has the texture of a separating wound. It's it's basically an abscess that you buy and eat. Yeah, I've never liked them just for textural reasons. That 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 filler in there is oh, it's awful. Oh, it's disgusting. It's it's literally it belongs in a medical textbook. It does not belong in a candy. Right. And yet, the weirdest part for me is that. Around the English-speaking world, not only in Britain, but in in the United States and Canada as well, Cadbury cream eggs are the single best-selling candy between New Year's and Easter. Wow. I know. It's it's proof that this is either the Matrix, uh, which some people believe, or as I believe, we are actually in hell um, because no real human being would eat a Cadbury cream egg on purpose. So the people who are buying them and keeping them on the shelves are literal demons here to torment and revolt me. Well, that is indeed the crimiest of food crimes. It's the grimiest of food. It's the slimiest of food crimes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Fucking Perfect. Slime. <laughs> All right. It is time for the podcast shopping network. Noble listener. I know you're busy. You have to be on the go. You have to go, go, go. You have to work. You have to drive. And unfortunately, you have to eat and drink. Those things simply don't mix, do they? You can't be in a car and eat or drink. At least not without spilling food and drink all over your good work clothes. The laws of physics just don't allow it. Rather than having to gasp. Get out of your car and eat on a park bench or picnic table? Today's product saves you that hassle. You can eat in your car and worry about nary a crumb with the Slob Stopper. The barrier wraps around your neck and drapes all over the front side of your body, right over your lap. So if, like me, you have difficulty picking up that latte without dumping half of it down your pants, there's officially a better way. The product has taken some flack comparing it to baby bibs. I think that's totally off base. It's clearly different. Baby bibs 
are for babies. Slob stoppers are for grown-ups. And anyway, babies can't drive cars. That would be illegal and unethical. The Slob Stopper retails for $14.95 plus shipping and handling. So it's $14.95 for a bib so that you can eat while you're driving and not get food all over yourself. And if you've seen this bib, it's basically like a plastic Snuggie. Now, see, that I'd be into, but you'd have to sell it to me as something other than a bib. If you if you right. said, hey, here's a, a personal portable sex tarp, <laughs> I'd be like, fuck yeah. Because, I mean, that's the thing, right? You're, you're thinking like, oh, this will stop fluids from getting on my clothes. Immediately, I'm starting to think of other non-burger-based applications for it. Right. I mean, this would be, you know, to go in a slightly different direction, this would be a great thing to murder someone in. Sure, sure. Candidate number one, Dexter Morgan, coming Mm -hmm. back. Absolutely. Apparently, this is this Mm -hmm. is the the Dexter. uh, I was going to try and think of an alliterative term. Yeah, but it's it's a murder poncho. It's not for it's not for stopping your slobs. By the way. That is my least favorite part of this product. Every time you said the word slob stopper, I wanted to throw my headphones out a window. Yes, yeah, the worst name. The, the sound of it is horrible. If yeah. you say the word slob stopper three times in a row, I don't know what kind of gross flatulent monster you summon, but I'm not going to risk I, it. I'm done I, saying it. I think if you say slob stopper three times in a row, you summon Kid Rock's honky tonk <laughs> rock and roll steakhouse. You just you you your 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 closet door opens up and you hear ba with the ba and you're like no and out <laughs> right and out comes helicopter colostomy bag man. Jeez, mm. what a world! All right, it's. It's time for state up. The next state in our our alphabetical run of the states in the United States is Hawaii. Uh, This was a tough one, but we uh, got some state facts for you and we're going to we're going to dive right in here. If you have an amphibious car and a way to refuel, you can theoretically drive there from the mainland. Alternatively, you can drive your car onto a boat. Well, you know, true fact, Hawaii is not actually a state. It's a colony annexed from the indigenous population by plantation owners. And the most useful thing about this fact is that it's true for all the other states, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's... See, that's why we wanted to be careful, folks, not to, like, punch down at Hawaii to make fun of it or shit on it. Because Hawaii's been shit on enough. Spam masubi is fucking delicious, and I'm very sad that I can no longer have it. See, but you forget... You forget about the global vegan spam that is available to us. Oh, right from right. China. I'll have to. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've been. I've been looking for it, but uh, so far no dice. But I'm. I'm gonna keep looking because I do love spam. Here's a. Here's a fun fact. Mark Zuckerberg is buying up huge chunks of Hawaii because he thinks owning things will fill the emptiness at the core of his being. <laughs> Not as snappy as some of our facts, but it's truer than most it, of them. It, right, it's it's pretty funny too. Hawaiian tourist season is apparently year round, which makes it the best state in the union for hunting tourists. <laughs> Did you know Hawaiian punch is not actually Hawaiian? 
And in fact, punching people is illegal in Hawaii. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like that commercial where the little guy with the moose antlers, for some reason, is like, <laughs> hey, do you want a Hawaiian punch? And then he fucking socks the little kid in the mouth. You're right. not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to sock little kids. You're not allowed to sock adults or clowns or anybody. Well, good to know. Yeah. Should I ever visit Hawaii, don't punch people. Our final segment tonight, as every week, is Person to Person and Person, where we share your valuable feedback with our audience. We still haven't had any recent feedback, so I'm defaulting to writing a haiku about the subject of my choice. And I'm going to keep these going until we get another email. So I hope you like roller coaster haikus. The haiku. A long wooden roar breaks the afternoon silence here at King's Island. That is in honor of the greatest wooden roller coaster in history, the Beast. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover in main news? Send them our way. We'll write a haiku about the subject and feature it prominently in our main segment as we further degrade into media whores. Folks, that's all the show we have for you tonight. We love your feedback, and there are so many ways to give it to us. Send us an email, personandpersonshow at gmail.com. Drop us a voicemail. Still haven't had one of those. 541-249-5933. Find us on Twitter at AnchorPersons and check out our website, personandpersonshow.com. It hasn't been updated in ages, but really, who cares? The show's always post there, and we will eventually get around to updating it. Until next time, this is Gene Person saying you should always end a comedy set with a callback. And this is Greg Person saying, Kid Rocks, Rocky Top. You're going to be so dead broke that Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll's Steakhouse. <laughs> Never mind. I was going to make another joke, but I can't get through it. Oh, I can't. this is the best. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I was, I was going to do another joke, and I can't get through it without so, laughing. I'm, I'm dying. Let's, let's try it uh, oh, with, with you saying, um, Gene... When it's time to say that particular sequence of words and then, uh, Mm -hmm. and not saying it yourself. Let's see if we can get through it that way. All right. You're going to be so broke that. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Because 
even though I'm not going to say it with my mouth, it's yeah. in my brain. Okay. It's in my brain. I can't okay. escape it. Oh, oh no, no, like no, okay. Take some out. deep Holy breaths. Shit. All right. I'm cool. I'm All good. Right. I'm straight. Let's do it. Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. <laughs> Kid Rock's Honky Tonk. <laughs> I can't. I'll yeah. never be able to say those All right, words. let's move on. Until next time, this is Gene Person saying you should always end a comedy set with a callback. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do, don't you? <laughs> it occurred to me halfway through saying that, what mm-hmm. you're going to say. So yep. I'm going to try it again. Okay. Until next time, this is Gene Person. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now it's happening to me. You can do this. I believe in you. Until... <laughs> Maybe we should just take it from another <laughs> recording. And this is Greg person saying, Kid Rock's Rocky Tonk. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. I, I physically cannot. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try one more time. Just one more time. <clears throat> I am a professional. I have done theater. I have done radio. I have done TV. I can do this. Okay. And this is... <laughs> shit. And this is Greg Person saying, Kid Rocks, Honky Talk. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> you know what? It's almost better. That's um, the best you're going to get, folks. I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have ever laughed so hard during an episode. Thank you, Kid Rock. Who knew? Kid Rock finally oh. managed to make a crowd of people happy. It's a crowd of only, you know, 30, 40, 50 people, but you're out there. Kid Rock's. Oh, man. Kid Rock's honky. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. Kid I've, Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. I I can't. I'm gonna get. I can say Kid Rock's. <laughs> I can right. Say, I can say Kid Rock's, but as soon as I try to say Honky Tonk, it's gonna be a problem. <laughs> right. Say Kid Rock. Kid Rock's. Okay, I got this. I got this. I can do this. Okay, just repeat after me, Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Honky Tonk. (laughs) Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. You did it! I did it. Congratulations. Do you know what I had to do? I had to mentally disassociate so that I forgot what those words meant. (laughs) That I was just saying sounds. Oh, I basically had to remove my soul from my body to do that.